Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. Well, although not really today because we've been watching the women's national team up against Japan in their 2-1 defeat in the second game of the World Cup. And where else to start but there? Gabby Mackay, who joins me. What did you think of the game? It was pretty much a carbon copy of the first game. I thought they were poor in the second half. They were too too defensive, trying to play too long. They were better in the second half, scored a goal kind of late on, which they just about deserved, and then couldn't get another chance to get another goal, which was almost exactly what happened against England. So it was uh, much the same as Sunday's game, I thought. Let's slaughter Shelley Kerr in the same way we happily slaughtered Alex McLeish. Gabby Mackay, it's not good enough, is it? I think uh, Hope Solo's already sort of... (laughs) Eviscerated her. Um, if we can, I, I want her on Scottish football coverage next season because she, she, oh, she's she's great. She's like Chris Sutton with charisma. T- talk us through what she said. Uh, she basically said that she that Shelley Kerr hadn't learned any lessons from the first game. Uh, Kerr said after the first game that she was going to go back and look at the video, break down where they made the mistakes, and according to Hope Solo, anyway, they were making exactly the same mistakes. And she basically questioned whether Shelley Kerr is anything of a tactician and sort of intimated that she probably isn't. Uh, And I'd have to, I mean, I can't say I agree with the conclusion. I think uh, probably Hope Solo knows a lot more about women's football than I do. But certainly I thought across the two games, the performance was remarkably similar. And that would suggest that lessons haven't been learned from the first game. I know Japan and England are both good teams. Japan were in the final last time. They're ranked, what, seventh in the world, is it? But it was a remarkably similar performance. And also, given the fact that in both games, Scotland did perform well in that last final sort of 15 to 20 minute chunk, when in both games, they pressed up. And that was the most concerning thing, was that the goal that Scotland scored was from pressing. They pressed up on Japan, they got in their faces, they got the ball back in a dangerous area, and then you saw uh, Lana Cleland pop the ball in from 25 yards. Terrific finish. But that danger came from the fact they pressed. Why Why do you think they stood off Japan? I don't know. They were maybe affording them too much respect. Maybe the fact, I mean, the fact they're a good team. I think Shelley Kerr was saying yesterday that people were underestimating Japan. Maybe she was sort of showing them a bit too much respect. And I think it's probably the same as what happened against England. I also thought the team selection was a bit strange. She made four changes, which fair enough, but she dropped the Claire Elmsley who scored in the last game, which I thought was a little bit strange. I don't know why she didn't start. Um, yeah, and I think they just showed a bit too much respect. You saw in both games when they went after teams. Now, the caveat being that in both games, the team they were playing against had a 2-0 lead and maybe weren't pushing as hard as they could. But in both games, when they actually went at the opposition, they got some joy. But both games, they started very much trying to defend and look well, seemingly looking to go for a point. There is a sense, of course, that a narrow defeat to number one ranked team in the world, number seventh ranked team in the world isn't necessarily the the worst couple of results because Scotland, of course, could qualify if they go out and beat Argentina. Now, they'd need to beat them handsomely and they need to have other results go in their favour. It's probably fairly unlikely at this point that that they will be able to qualify as the best third-place team with just one victory. What, is it not six six out of the sixth-best third-place teams or something? Six out of eight or four out of six, I think. So Yes. So there's only two teams who finish third who won't qualify, so... As far as I'm aware, uh, depending on results, which we don't know yet, but they may be able, may be enough just to beat Argentina. Yeah. Although they did draw with Japan, so they're maybe not as bad as we may have hoped <laughs> going into it. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, so th- there's. I, I suppose the point is they sh- they are still in with an opportunity to qualify and going into that third game. If you have an opportunity to qualify, is there not an argument to say that that's a a reasonable result? Yeah, you could argue, and also, I mean, there are six or seven in players in the Scotland squad who aren't full-time as well. When you look at England, certainly all their players will be full-time. I, I got a sense of that as well. Some of the fitness, perhaps. Some players looked like they were breathing out their backsides to, towards the end of the game a little bit, even when they were, even though they were pushing up. and They just didn't look like they were 100% there. Yeah, in terms well, they're of also Scottish, and it's in France. It's probably <laughs> hot, and, uh, you know... Yeah, uh, I'm not sure you or I would have done any better running well, around. Well, certainly that not. I, I mean, I, I'd have had a heart attack 50, 45 <laughs> or 55 minutes before then. Um, in terms of the goal, there's no way of couching this or being nice about it. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible goalkeeping error from my point of view. Do you agree? Yeah, I think it was a honking bit of goalkeeping. I think the defender could have done a bit better as well. She was sort of standing because of this. I mean, we disagree on it because of this stupid new handball rule. She was standing with her arms behind her back, not really trying to charge down the shot. But there's no getting away from the fact it was a terrible bit of goalkeeping. If she just put her arms up, she'd have got a hand to it. It did come past the defender, but if as a goalkeeper, you've got to be ready for that. She kind of redeemed herself. She had two good saves in the second half. But yeah, there's no getting away from the fact that uh, it was really poor goalkeeping for the first goal, and I'm sure she probably knows that herself. Uh, But uh, you might want to also attach some blame to the defender for not stopping the shot. Yeah, she she seemed to get caught under the ball almost. There was no jump, there was no lift there. So I know people will say, well... Uh, she's smaller than a, a men's goalkeeper, so she doesn't have that reach. But at the same time, she just couldn't seem to get up anywhere near that ball whatsoever. There was no loft there at all in terms of the jump. No, I think I think she just reacted really slowly, or rather, didn't react at all. Uh, yeah, it was a really poor bit of goalkeeping. There's no, there's no getting around that. There's no way of sugarcoating it. But as I said, she made some good, two good saves in the second half. So no qualms about the penalty. I mean, it's soft, but it was a daft thing she did. She got caught the wrong side. She put her arms around her shoulder. Again, there's not a huge amount of contact. The Japanese player went down easily, but I think, yeah, I think it's a penalty. I think you can't... If you get caught the wrong side like that and you put your arms around someone, you're always running that risk. So, no, I don't think there can be any complaints, really. And I mentioned it earlier, um, Lana Cleland, terrific strike. You must have been... uh, Well, you were actually moved off your seat for that. Yeah, it was. It was good. It's a great goal. I mean, as you said earlier, it came about when they actually did a bit of pressing, but she got it on her left foot and just pinged it right in the top corner. I don't think the goalkeeper could have really done anything about it. Uh, yeah, it was it was a fantastic strike. She's obviously, I guess, one of the one of the professional players in the squad. Probably one of the better ones. She plays for Fiorentina in the women's Serie A, and they're they're one of the the better teams in that division. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a magnificent strike. Uh, unfortunately, just wasn't wasn't enough to get a point. And unfortunately, we are now missing Hope Solo's, no doubt, tremendous um, punditry as she takes apart Shelley Kerr um, for whatever infraction Hope, Hope Solo feels that she's made. Um, who do you think Hope Solo would ideally replace on uh, Scottish football uh, punditry? Well, I want to, I'd quite, I mean, I said earlier she was like Chris Sutton with charisma, but I'd love to see her have an argument with Chris Sutton. So, <laughs> I don't know, it's a, it's a difficult one. I'm thinking... Thinking, who on that sort of Premier Sport BT team can can we can we bomb out? I mean, no offence to they're them. They're all good. They are all good, but then, I mean, are they are they as good as Hope Solo? That is my mm. question. Um, I think Hope Solo, Michael Stewart, and Chris Sutton. That would be a bar yeah, and a half. Yeah, that would be quite the quite the triumvirate. Yeah, 
I, Fireworks. I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd pay. I'd pay my subscription fee to see that. <laughs> right. We're going to move on from uh, the Women's World Cup, and now we are going to talk about transfer hot takes, and they are going to be hot because I've not told you about what they are. I'm covering them up now. Right. Gabby McKay, I want your hot takes on each of these transfers. I'm going to start off now with okay. Callum McGregor to Leicester. Um, I think that I, I, it would make sense from a football point of view. Brendan Rodgers obviously got the best out of him at Celtic, so I'm trying to render to the player he is today. But it certainly wouldn't be a popular move for him to follow Brendan Rodgers down to Leicester after the sort of acrimonious way he left. So, you know... Uh, He's, uh, he came through the Celtic youth system, he's a boyhood Celtic fan. Is that a movie would make, knowing the reaction? I'm not sure. £10 million fee that's been mooted today. Now, that's the similar fee that you said in a piece yesterday. And I got slaughtered for you it. You got slaughtered. Why do you think he's worth £10 million? Well, I think if you look, just look at the transfer fees that English clubs will pay to Scottish clubs, it's not a knock on him as a player. If he was an English player playing in England, he'd be worth about £25 million. But you look at Dembele, who's a striker who always goes for more, French under-21 international, younger, scored in the Champions League. He went for, what, £19 million? Which is, I think, the record fee that a Scottish club has received. They got £7 million for Armstrong, who admittedly was in the last year of his contract. But you're not going to be getting, what, £20 million for a player like Armstrong who's 26. Is he 26 today? Uh, McGregor's 26 today, yeah. Yeah, McGregor. Sorry, I misspoke. Yeah, McGregor. Yeah. So happy birthday to him. But yeah, you're not going to be getting the kind of £20 million fees for him. So I think anything that's in the seven-figure range would be absolutely ideal. I think we're on a similar page. Uh, on the video earlier on, uh, when I spoke to Chris Doyle, one of our writers, he was of the opinion that Celtic absolutely should not sell Callum McGregor. I don't think Callum McGregor will necessarily fit into Neil Lennon's plan for next season. I think the style of play that he likes is much more direct and Callum McGregor's the kind of player that that works well under a manager that's more um, tactically sophisticated in terms of the way he wants to play the game, more fluid uh, and allow the players to play in these pockets of space. I think Neil Lennon obviously likes that because we've seen players do that when he was Hibs. Um, but I think he is much more direct. He wants to get the ball into the box, and he wants to get the ball into the box quickly. Brendan Rodgers was much happier to to knock the ball about and stretch teams and uh, tire teams out over the course of a game. So I think McGregor might want to look at this now. He's 26. He's won the treble treble. He's won everything that you could possibly win in Scotland. What more can he do here? Uh, it's a short career. You get a big move, set your family up for life. I, I'm struggling to find a reason why you should stay at Celtic. Now, perhaps you could give me one, because I really can't think of one, because he's achieved everything. Beyond being a fan of the club and wanting to stay at the club and be a one-club man, what else is there? No, that's a good point. It's one that I can't really substantively argue with, other than the fact, yeah, he is a Celtic fan, and he came through the youth system, and maybe, you know, maybe all he wants is to play for Celtic, and there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, aside from that, I can't really, can't really argue with you too much on those points. Yeah, we we, we touched on it yesterday that perhaps um, the move for uh, Mister Turnbull of Motherwell um, might be a replacement for Callum McGregor. Uh, we touched on it extremely briefly, but yeah, just the way Kisme, the way things are are, are looking now, it's perhaps uh, looking more like that being the case. Now, of course, there's also been a lot of speculation of my next hot take. Um, person, which is Oliver and Cham. Oliver. Olivier. I, I keep doing this. I keep calling him Oliver. 
you're just uh, so anglicising it in the uh, tradition of uh, Freddie Dindaloo and Gina Lane boom song, you know, <laughs> just... I'm putting it down to, to tiredness, but it's happened to me like three times in the last week, so I apologise. Olivier and Cham. Yes. Hot take. <laughs> um, in I, French. <laughs> un take show, I guess. <laughs> um, um, yeah, he's been linked. Is it Leon he's been linked with today? Yeah, so that Leon now joining a group of clubs including Marseille and Porto that have shown significant interest and it looks like he's a player that wants away and it looks like a player that Celtic are probably happy to say, let's draw a line under this one. Yeah, I think so. I think we've discussed on the podcast before that he, he didn't really perform this season. He's probably had his head turned. Uh, I can I can see why he'd want to go to France. Obviously, being a French player, he might be hoping to catch the eye of Deschamps uh, ahead of the Euros. Maybe if he's playing in Liga, he might very have a difficult. Of doing mid, that. Very oh. mid, difficult midfield to get in there, though, isn't it? Oh, of course it is. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that he will, but you know, you know what footballers are like. They'll always back themselves. Mm. So he probably has that in the back of his mind. Uh, Leon probably would make perhaps more sense than Marseille because, as we've discussed on here and written on the site, Marseille don't have any money. So. Yeah, could could be one that could happen. I don't think too many Celtic fans would be devastated to see him go as long as they get a decent fee. Greg Stewart to Rangers, signed and sealed and uh, announced yesterday. Um, and a lot of people seemingly a little bit underwhelmed within the Rangers support by the news, if you go by Twitter. Um, for me, Gaby, I think two-year signing, 29 years old, was excellent at Dundee, was excellent at Kilmarnock. Um, a solid player who we know can perform at SPFL level seems like a sensible signing for Steven Gerrard. For me, the Aberdeen situation is that of a player going to a club that play a style of football that doesn't suit him, that doesn't bring out the best in him. So I think he can go and play in that Rangers uh, setup under Steven Gerrard. They play an expansive type of football in comparison with Aberdeen, and I think he will probably benefit from that. I don't expect him to start every game. But my hot take is that'll be a decent signing for Rangers. Uh, this is more of a hot snake than a hot take when it comes to <laughs> Greg Stewart as a Kilmarnock fan. <laughs> Broke my heart when he left in January. So we will refer to him from now on as Greg the Snake. Uh, I think he's obviously a very talented player. You saw that in the first half of the season at Kilmarnock when he was playing just sort of just off. Brophy was a very creative player. I think he got, uh, was it six goals and eight assists or something around that? I'd have to check. He then made the horrendous mistake of going back to Aberdeen, which even putting aside the fact that, uh, you know, my club allegiances, even at the time, that was a really strange move because he didn't fit into the system under McInnes the season before. The same thing happened. I think he got two goals in the entire time he was there, one of which was in the cup against Cowden Beath or whoever it was. Uh, I think Rangers have been lacking a creative player. Uh, so if you can get him on a free transfer, two-year contract, I think I think is a perfectly sensible signing. He showed last season, I think even by the end of the season, he was one of the most creative players in the division, and that's with six months basically wasted. So, yeah, I think it's a good good move for, for Rangers and a good move for Greg the Snake. Indeed, uh, one of the most bizarre signings uh, in recent Scottish football history, and, and that says something, was uh, the, the move by uh, Greg Stewart to go back to Aberdeen. Just a bit weird. Um, moving on to my last transfer hot take, Gaby. And it's that of Greg Taylor, a Kilmarnock left-back, recently capped for Scotland, who has been linked with Hull City, Celtic, and Rangers. Well, he came through the youth system at Rangers, didn't he? So He did indeed. Yeah. 
Uh, I can see that the whole one, I guess, they, they were the ones who signed Andy Robertson, so you can see why they'd want to look at Scotland for a left-back. I think he's a really, really good player. I think he's a really underrated player. He's obviously maybe catching a bit more attention now because he played against Belgium and did well on Tuesday night. But he's not amazing going forward. He's not got the attacking threat that Robertson does. But he's a really solid defensive player. You look at him and you think, oh, he'll get beaten in the air all the time, and he doesn't. He's only 22. He's already played over 100 games for Kelly. Yeah, I think he's... If he... If he was a right-back, I think he'd have been in the Scotland team before now. I think he's just unfortunate that he's got two... Well, one certainly world-class player ahead of him and Tierney, who you could argue is sort of on the cusp or could be world-class one day. That's a bit unfortunate for him. Yeah, the the one thing that made me raise my eyebrow at the story today, my, my single eyebrow, no, my eyebrows, was actually the transfer fee, 400 grand. That seems uh, cheap, and I doubt Kelly would deal at that price. Do you have any... Local insight on that, or am I just um, uh, am, am I right? Yeah, I think you're right. I can't imagine they would do a deal for four hundred thousand when you see the prices that other players are going for. I mean, as I said earlier, you know, if it's English club coming for a Scottish talent, they're not going to pay what they would for an English player. But you look at Celtic paying three million for Turnbull. You look at Motherwell sold was it Keepray for a lot of a money, a million pounds, a yeah. million pounds, yeah. yeah. So if he's going for a million pounds, you're not selling Greg Taylor for four hundred thousand pounds. He's still under contract. Yeah, I can't. I can't see four hundred thousand. I think you'd be talking close to a million or above that, anyway. Yeah, and of course, Kilmarnock uh, probably in no hurry to do any kind of transfer deals until they have their own manager in place. Um, I know they have. Uh, um, they have uh, a backroom team that's still there um, from Steve, Stevie Clark's time, but I, I think they'll be looking to um, make sure that the man who's coming in uh, has got the opportunity to assess the squad. You would think. Um, just on something you said there, Gaby, I thought it'd be interesting just to drill into it into a little bit more detail. You talked about Hull having had success in Scotland, and now there are a number of big clubs that have had some success in Scotland, and I'm not talking about Hull. If you think about Andy Robertson, if you think about um, Moussa Dembele, if you think about players like uh, Winyama, like um, Van Dyke. There's been a reluctance for big clubs to shop in the Scottish market in recent years because they think mm, it's, you can't really gauge how good they are within that, that framework. So what we need to do is to have a smaller club like a Hull City come and take the players out. If they do well, then we'll come in and, and, and swoop for them. Do you think big clubs might now change their mind on that? Because there's been so many recently that have done really well at the very highest level that have had some time in Scotland. Yeah, they might do. Uh, I'm, I'm still not sure that you're going to see players going straight from Scotland to Manchester United no. or Liverpool or those players. But maybe you know you're kind of the clubs just outside that bracket: Everton, uh, Wolves, you know, clubs like that, Newcastle, clubs like that, big clubs, but maybe not quite in the very, very top tier. You can see that happening because yeah, once a player's gone to an English team, I mean, I know Liverpool got still got an absolute bargain with Robertson, but once a Scottish player's moved to an English team, you're going to have to pay a lot more than you would to get them from a Scottish team. So I can, can see that happening. And it obviously, I think, makes the Scottish League more attractive for players to come into, that they can use it very much as a stepping stone to get to England. We've seen a lot of players do that, particularly at Celtic, but elsewhere too. So, yeah, I think I think you could very well see that. Okay, well, that's all from us today on our reduced... Football Scotland Daily podcast because we had to watch uh, the the Women's World Cup match. Um, We'll be coming back to you next week from Monday with a a normal length uh, show. Uh, Until then, 
thanks for listening. Uh, you can obviously follow all the stuff we're doing on Football Scotland on our Twitter feed at football underscore Scott. Uh, you can do uh, a search in your Facebook search bar to find us there. And of course, you can search and subscribe for the podcast on iTunes, Ecast, or any other good podcasting network. Thanks for listening.